Hello friends, this is Mano Elia, and you are listening to The Study of Stuff. And thank you all for tuning in. This is the interview segment of the show. Today, I'll be interviewing the great Amit Goswami and Valentina Onisor. But before we get to that interview, I wanted to say a big, huge thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you who tuned into the very first episode that I did with the great David Whitehead, the Truth Warrior. My God, what a great episode that was. And the response I got, like I am truly grateful. Wow, all the comments, questions, and support were incredible. I really, really, really am grateful. Thank you. If you want to keep up to date with all things Study of Stuff and Mano Elia, maybe even check out my music, visit manoelia.com. Subscribe and make sure you keep up with everything that's coming down the pipeline. Now for today's show, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing the great Amit Goswami and amazing Valentina Onisor. Who is Amit Goswami? Well, Amit Goswami is a quantum physicist who was a professor of physics at the University of Oregon from 1968 to 1997. Since then, he's gone on to write bajillions and bajillions and bajillions of books. Many, 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 many books. Such as The Self-Aware Universe, The Physics of the Soul, The Quantum Doctor, God is Not Dead, Quantum Creativity, The Everything Answer Book, and of course, his recent book that he co-authored with the great Valentina Onisor, and we'll be talking a lot about The Quantum Brain. Valentina Onisor. Who is Valentina Onisor? Well, Valentina Onisor, MD, is a practicing physician who specializes in family medicine, alternative medicine, and integrates aspects of alternative medicine within her medical practice. She is committed to studying consciousness, both from a theoretical and practical approach, helping Amit Goswami mix science and spirituality. In this conversation, we go deep, really deep down the rabbit hole, my friends. We talk everything from quantum physics, consciousness, to what is consciousness, what is mind, what is brain, what is the heart, and how does it pertain to all of this? Ooh, and the science of reincarnation, and the science of channeling, which helps very much for our next episode with the great Paul Selig here on The Study of Stuff. Now, without any further ado, here's my interview with the great Amit Goswami and Valentina Onisor. All right, and we are live, and this is The Study of Stuff. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, today I have two special guests, amazing guests. I'm super excited to be in- interviewing Amit and Valentina. Um, and they will, we will be ta- tackling a number of different issues, topics, and subjects, um, mostly based off the work from their uh, current book, The Quantum Brain. And as well, we'll be touching on some subjects that are also in quantum spirituality, and we'll hear a little bit about uh, what they have coming down the pipeline as well which sounds kind of interesting. Um, So I'd like to begin by uh, having you both kind of tell us a little bit about your journey on how you found yourself on this path of trying to uh, combine spirituality and science. uh, And um, how did you find each other? And how did this relationship uh, start? And where's it going? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Big one. Can I start? All right. So, um, you know, I um, became interested in uh, consciousness research from an intuitive uh, thought that came to me back in 1973 about um, there is a way to live life 
which is congruent between thinking, living, and livelihood. So that got me into changing the physics I was doing because, you know, um, physicists today, uh, unless they're very, uh, very, very special uh, people to take risks, they do the usual thing. And the usual things are all in the paradigm thing. And in the paradigm, everything is just very complex, uh, theories and experimental data. Um, however much the image I know is very good, but the image actually is not quite true. Most people do very boring stuff, let's put it that way. And and most importantly, there's no congruence between uh, living and thinking. So I was willing to change that, and that brought me to quantum physics, that brought me to consciousness research, that uh, brought me to the idea of transformation. Uh, so, you know, I was at a conference in uh, 2016 uh, talking about my work. We are trying to initiate a new university of transformational education. And uh, Valentina came for um, uh, learning what we are doing, just to examine, you know, she was looking for uh, something, I guess. And that's where we met. And um Immediately, it appeared to me that she's a good person, right person to uh, do the consciousness research with me. So I invited her uh, in uh, during that period, uh, immediately following the uh, conference. So, um, and, and, and she followed through. Uh, you know, usually people's enthusiasm disappear after the yes. workshop high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But nothing like that. I've seen that plenty of times. Spirituality, and ever since we have been working together. Okay, and where is that going? Amazing. I mean, this was the second question. Uh, 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 first, you tell yes. your story, and then we'll. <laughs> <laughs> I like your questions, really. So, um, why um, for me was. Um, the marriage between science and spirituality was really there since I was very, you know, very, very early age, really. So I grew up in a family of doctors and priests and uh, all of them very open, strongly opinionated, you know, so I had to become one of this kind of like truly opinionated. And this, by the way, this is something which uh, Amit likes about me because I know how to fight. And at the end of (laughs) all the fight, truly it's such a wonderful quantum leap, which happens, you know, I, I could see that, you know, because he even told me these last days, you know, that I'm so happy that you just know how to fight, you know. And then the point is fight truly, like be authentic, follow your heart, yes. because that's why you're fighting truly in that way, you know. And uh, in the end of that, just stay there, you know. So stay next to the people, next to your team, next to the person that you're fighting on, whether in a love relationship yes. or in a work relationship. And then you will see something so beautiful is coming up. So that's one thing. So I uh, grew, as I said, in such kind of family. And I put questions, like fundamental questions, since I was very young. And um, yeah, my father was a doctor. So I was, since I was in a very early age, again, interested in healing especially, but not so much in the conventional way, because it was immediately right in my face that uh, that's by far not the healing that I was there for. I was just so hungry for, for deep knowledge. And then I discovered the, the yoga system, you know, and, the, yep. and that immediately 
and very very soon I um, I went through some stages of transformation. I learned about transmutation, sublimation of my the inner world truly transformed very very quickly. I have to say, like a few months after I started this kind of practices, already I was into Christianity practices, and I was going to monasteries and all that. So I was kind of a very passionate passionate kid, you know. And uh, then uh, I was just very also say uh, lucky, if you want to say. Uh, to find in my way people which and schools that uh, truly, you know, they, I, I got so many, so much of the wisdom which exists, you know, whether it's related with Ayurveda, with the old traditional Indian medicine, you know, or um, Chinese medicine, acupuncture and all that. So all of this, they were um, not contradicting themselves for me. They were coming together. And uh, when I met uh, Professor Gosmami, so it was in India, and actually, uh, a lady from this um, from Pyramid Valley, you know, she was inviting me to meet Amit because she had the plan to create a university, and that's how we met, you know. So she had this plan, but of course that university didn't happen. But from the first time when we met, it was this click which showed me very clearly and immediately what I have to add to uh, Professor Goswami's work, you know. And it it was obvious and was beautiful, even if it was not from the beginning. Of course, like you don't see from the beginning the whole thing. Yeah, you just see something, yes, and it, it's that feeling that it has to be, and it is. So it's just beautiful. And then we, you know, we have a few people in our team, and um, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's it's so much joy and passion because it makes all the sense in the world. Absolutely, and and I'm really happy you guys both are uh, combining both your talents and putting them together because it's something that I think that we 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 really need the clarification. Uh, between uh, the world of the quantum, the quantum physicist and, of course, uh, integrated medicine and such. And it's an uh, easy way to combine consciousness with, with the science of, of the nuts and bolts of things, let's say. So then my next question kind of leads into something that's very uh, a very big topic within the book, and that is the, the dualistic nature of, of, of self and the mind. And, uh, and we see this constantly, uh, whether we look at it on the physical plane and we look at the actual brain physically there's a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere combined connected through the corpus callosum but then of course we have the behavior on the on the mental aspect where uh, there's the rational logical approach versus the creative and abstract approach um, and right down to psychology we still split it yet again dualistically to conscious and uh, subconscious um, and um, the importance of the heart and how this pertains uh, to allow for it to connect so that we go from dualistic to, to some form of coherence and uh, connection together. So I was hoping that, uh, Amit, maybe you could describe, um, talk a little bit about, uh, about the brain, mind versus, mind versus brain. And then, uh, Valentina, if you can flow from there right into the heart, because, I, I mean, it seems like the book was kind of written in that way, and I really enjoyed that. I could kind of hear your voices as I was, I was reading through the book. So... The stage is yours. The biggest problem that has arisen in the Western approach, you know, I don't like to classify things between East-West because it's a very arbitrary and false classification. Nevertheless, it did happen. Some actual differences did arise. And in the West, what happened was that Descartes, who was the founder of modern science, one of the founders, he said a sentence that became the philosophical basis of all subsequent Western thought, amazing as it may sound. 
the sentence was, I think, therefore I am. And that suggested that I am, this is a correlate, this is a consequence of I think. So thinking generates the subject-object. So thinking became identified with what we call conscious awareness. That I see an object, I see you, I cognize you as another human being. All this is mental. Right. But, of course, mind also thinks, and much better to think of the mind as container of thoughts, the vehicle we use for thinking, because mind is not the only thing that we have. We also have the capacity of feeling, which is obviously not mental. It's energy that we feel. And then we have intuition. And that is also, a, there's a mental component of it in the sense that we make a mental representation of it. But it is obvious that intuition is not the mind. In fact, this is where Immanuel Kant, a later philosopher, was very puzzled. He was also Cartesian, Descartes to begin with, but then he was always pointing out, but then how do we in, uh, introduce this idea of uh, intuition? How do we intuit? What is the difference? But obviously it is not thought, thought in, the, in any form. So um, these questions eventually have been unsolved. Westerners still, um, majority of American thinkers, you know, Noam Chomsky called them intellectual values. They just yes. don't understand consciousness because they equate consciousness with the mind. Consciousness yes. is the ground of being. This simple idea was uh, creatively intuited uh, by Eastern uh, researchers of consciousness. Uh, we made everything complicated by talking about them as spiritual uh, leaders, spiritual wisdom teachers. But the, the point is that label is a label. They were really researchers for consciousness. What they were saying, Sanskrit, the word Brahman was used. Brahman is everything. That is the statement of consciousness is the ground of all being. Mm -hmm. All experiences yep. Yep. are products of consciousness. Notice that later other people, other consciousness structure that we also call spiritual teachers, like Jesus, that's saying exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. So this truth, which was discovered in India 7,000 years ago, has been discovered again and again. In China, by Lao Tzu 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, Socrates, in Greece, and then in the Middle East, by Jesus, and mm -hmm. um, uh, zillions of times, probably Native American shamans and uh, 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 so forth, many other traditions as well. So, what is consciousness then? These traditions themselves were defined it very well. In the Vedanta, 7,000 years ago, the thought appears that consciousness is Sat, Chit, and Ananda. These are also Sanskrit words. You have to interpret them correctly. And I'm very uh, sorry that even Indians don't interpret these things correctly anymore because they too have bought into the Western uh, philosophical attitude towards consciousness as part of the mind. So, but what it's saying, thought is existence. Consciousness is the first existence. From that, every other existence follows. Ground of being. That's what that simple word, thought, uh, that stands for. Heat stands for the awareness. 
for to experience as consciousness. A subject looking at an object. I see you. There is subject and there is object. The subject of the experience is awareness, conscious awareness of the I. Um, and then finally, Ananda. This Ananda is most curious. Why is that in the definition? Usually we define things and then we elaborate all kinds of things following. Definition is the beginning and the proliferation. Right. Right. Consciousness is not like that because it's the ground of all being. Every being that's going to follow is also part of consciousness itself. It's not beyond consciousness. So uh, Ananda just describes the limitless happiness, expansion of consciousness. And expansion of consciousness is the way to get into the way you talk about the future, where is it going, okay, where we are going is precisely increasing states of happiness and increasing states of intelligence to find happiness for ourselves instead of misery and sorrow and suffering. So this is the whole summary. I mean, in that one definition, the whole not only the definition is given, but the whole program of the world is given. It's so amazing. And of course, there are problems because uh, those guys could not understand uh, the brain. Uh, very little was known at the time. So they could not explain how consciousness manifests in the brain. And so all these things have been happening because of quantum physics. And we finally, you know, Newton started as a science of objects. Uh, in Newton's time, he did not have any objects. Uh, he did something just fantastic. I cannot even fathom how one starts a science without any idea whatsoever that went before. And he bold is okay, science is objects. But then how is the subject? How does the subject fit in? Westerners, many the philosophers, they don't even ask the question. They ask the question as a mind-brain problem. How is the duality, dualism, and then answer to dualism is monism, so they get into the brain. Everything must be consequences of the brain, material interaction. But that is a very, very poor theory because then we are throwing away bulk of human experience, feelings, intuition, uh, everything that is important, creativity. So, you know, uh, this is how we uh, started and this is where we are going. We are, uh, already we have developed a complete quantum science. And uh, there's still much to do, but we have the basic, basic theories in place. The foundation, yes. So let me get back to your question and continue if you want a few more words. Because you were asking about the left brain, the right brain. And there are all these differences between the women and men, you know, which you need to take in consideration. Because we, we, we should um, understand these differences. When we understand these differences, we also know how to tap into our potential, which is not by coincidence that we were born in a woman's body or in a man's body. But we also have to see how um, the difference is related to the brain, you know, because it's obvious that women, we are able to express our emotions due to these qualities, you know, how uh, we process the emotions. Or, uh, and instead of men, they are mostly suppressing the emotions. And uh, see, so this is, again, because of the right or left predominance. And... Um, Eventually, we need to integrate, of course, so it's part of the integration and of all the dichotomies, you know, inner and outer, feminine, masculine. But first of all, we need to be what we are, first of all, you know, so that's part of the journey 
of the soul, you know. So um, you start from there. You, you heard about this androgen, right? But yeah. uh, before getting to this androgen, first of all, you need to manifest your qualities, whether feminine or masculine. It's a lot to talk about that. And I know it's not the subject by itself here. And, uh, and then again, yes, heart, you know. So for me, and not just for me, like we have so much potential at all the levels of being. And you, we speak now about the quantum brain. But unless we tap into the power of our hearts, what we are, you know. So truly, we are kind of living on the instinctual level which is the first, you know, if you heard about the chakras, or we can talk about this if you want, but living in the instinctual level, the first three chakras, you know, it's purely instinctual. All these circuits of um, domination, which you see how much is in the world, manipulation, all this living based of fear, right? Not assuming that courage, that state of a hero from where you start to transform, right? So when you think of courage, it's something which is from the belly and from the heart as well. Okay, so when the heart, you see in the Christian tradition, we have the symbol of the cross, which we do it at this level. And in the shamanic, no, the Native American tradition, they have the the surface of earth is the symbol of, uh, you know, so like a, it's kind of covering these three, first three levels. And... Uh, so then, first of all, we have to also connect, learn to connect with our heart and then tap through the heart into that what is called non-locality. So one mm-hmm. of the first principle which we need to learn in the quantum way of working is the non-locality. And again, it's easier for women yeah. because due to our nature. So we are we have this capacity to, to, I mean, if we as women would not be in, unfortunately, what you see, it's all this competition nowadays also. The women... Instead of becoming feminine, they become feminist, you know, they become like another man. So that's another problem. And uh, the women have a lot of power of transformation, of healing. So when women would uh, really take their place in this way, you know, that would, I I see it as a way of healing the earth, you know, and even healing this situation as it is right now. Like, again, it's part of becoming responsible as a human being as well. But again, so tapping into the heart, because you wanted the heart, so, yeah. You can do it uh, even if you're not to get next to, you know, we are at a distance right now, but yes. we can correlate with each other. And uh, then you open up such a space, a sacred space, which can bring miracles, you know, and miracles of healing. You're mentioning unconscious, you know, and subconscious, all that. All this is so much underrated nowadays when we speak about quantum healing. This is a thing which we need to approach. Like you need to be able to deeply relax and go into that what we call incubation, part of the creative process. That's where the miracle of healing is happening, you know. It's, you have to prepare with that. It's not like that. And of course, there are so many things to take in consideration. But again, the, to me, the heart is, I mean, not, I think to Amit also. So the heart is the first place. It, it's not just the heart, of course. You need to polarize yeah. it with the mental and with everything else. But without the heart, what do, what are we really? hundred percent. No, well put. I really like how you both explained that, especially also how you also added uh, the male, masculine and feminine and tried to combine it and, and explain it through uh, concepts of the heart. My next question was going to be about consciousness. I mean, you both obviously spoke quite a bit about consciousness because I pretty much that is the, the primacy of all things. And I fully agree with that statement. Um, and my definition of the one, not my definition, but the definition I like to use for consciousness is awareness of being aware. So if I ever have tried to explain it to someone, uh, what I mean, I constantly go to it, consciousness is the awareness of being aware. And, and that's a, a matter of degree, if, if I understand it correctly. 
for example, you can say that uh, my daughter is a uh, is quite a bit more uh, aware than my cat because I don't think my cat sits around asking himself why he's here, right? I mean, I don't know, but I don't think so. Uh, as well as we can say on the physical, uh, in terms of medicine and such, we could say, uh, you know, my left foot. I'm, I'm not aware of it all the time, most of the time, but it's there. But then when I put my awareness on that left foot, now my intention, I'm sorry, my attention is put on that foot. I become aware of the, the feeling of the foot, the temperature of the foot. And it seems to me that uh, quantum physics uh, um, the explanation quantum physics has for reality, combined with the concepts in heart math and everything you just described, Valentina, seems to fit very well with how, um, sorry, the access point being, being attention and awareness. Um, so could you guys talk a little bit about how that pertains to your book uh, in terms of let healing me, and explanation of reality? Let me address that. You know, um, it, the quote, consciousness is uh, the ability of, that we are aware of being aware came from Charles Start, who yes. is a parapsychologist in practice. And unfortunately, uh, parapsychologists, I, I like Charles. I mean, he's a good man. Uh, that's not the issue here. Uh, the thought, though, is a very limited thought. Uh, he did a lot of work about altered states of consciousness in which paranormal opens up. So he's a very good researcher, empirically speaking. But theoretically, consciousness is just a very hard subject. So he missed the boat completely, completely, as completely as possible. Okay. Why? Because uh, being aware of being aware is a very secondary aspect of consciousness. That's what defines the ego persona. Uh, what happens to us is that, yes, we have experiences, and then we can experience the experience again, aware of being aware, right? Mm -hmm. I have an mm -hmm. experience. That's not aware of being aware. That's just being aware. I see right. you. That's awareness. Okay? Right. Earth is saying that, no, that does not define the ego. And he's right. Ego consciousness, indeed, is the ability of taking it further. Because I not only see you as you, but I condition it. I become aware, okay, I saw Mano and Mano looks like this and that's the conditioning I make. And then I make a picture of it. And that picture becomes my ego's description of you. And you know what happens? When I see you again, maybe 10 years later, and you are a completely different person, I don't know who you are. So, okay. and my, 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 my mind is not open to accept you. So this, is, this causes all kinds of relationship problems because people stay apart from a few months and they're a little different and, and they complain. Or somebody, a husband or a wife, decides to make a change in life and the spouse, other spouse cannot handle it because they are making their ego aware of being aware. This is the person I know. And therefore, why can you, how can you change and have relationship with me because I will accept you only in that capacity. I see. Yes, I so, see. Ah, I like that. Okay. What I'm being aware is the definition of the ego. It's not consciousness. And uh, this is, has been a problem. So completely throughout that definition, if you um, want to proceed spiritually, this is I the do, first thing you must not do. No construction. No construction of the ego you can trust. That okay. the world like that. taken just as it comes in the present moment. And that present moment has no awareness of being aware, just awareness. 
you reminded me of uh, Krishnamurti's uh, definition of how he viewed consciousness and how you just explained that. So, as I said, consciousness is the ground of being, and mm-hmm. it has a characteristic when it manifests. This, um, this ground of being aspect of consciousness, just existence itself, is what is what we call unconscious. Unmanifest. Unconscious and unmanifest. In quantum physics, we call it unmanifest. Quantum physics has objects are possibilities from which we choose, and that's how we create manifestation. But of course, until we choose, there is no manifest experience. What is reality before that? Before then, there is only potentiality. And that potentiality, psychologists call unconscious. Unconscious is a misnomer. Consciousness is still there. What is not there is awareness. Unconscious is unawareness. So think in this way, and then uh, collapse of the quantum measurement. I see you. That is the collapse. I choose to see you, and I choose how I see you. I give the meaning with my mind, and that's how the image becomes. Okay, I'm talking to a human being who is also a a personality who interviews people, a philosopher, and so So that's a construction I give with my consciousness. Okay, so the awareness consists of a subject and an object that I construct not only with the material body that I see, but also the meaning that I give with the material body, to the material body, including the feeling that I have about you. For example, if I ask Valentina, what do you think of Manu? She will not very much talk about your intellectual capacity. She will say, oh, yes, she has a good, has a good presence or something like that. I liked his energy, she would say. So, you know, this is the same. And we're missing all that by uh, restricting that consciousness is a, in a pigeonhole as an object that somehow is aware of being aware. So you're, you're saying basically that uh, the definition of defining the parameters of the object will obviously uh, put that object in a, uh, in a restricted manner. So, for example, uh, if you um, already determine what something is, it can't be anything but what you've just determined it being. For example, you gave the example of, uh, of the relationship of one partner changing uh, that expectation of that's how I expect her to be, that person I first met. And then if they, she evolves, uh, all of a sudden I might be disappointed. Why would you evolve? Well, what if you view uh, a, the awareness of being aware from the perspective of the Godhead, let's say, or whatever you consider uh, the ultimate all to be? I like the term the all. Yes, Valentina, go. So what we do to avoid this habit is to try to uh, take any situation without previous construction, right. without, without the thinking about awareness of being awareness. I will construct this event later. Because it's the constructing the event later that causes that all the problems that we have is creating the future of how is this present experience going to influence the future. We make up a future already. St. Augustine used to call it, we live, well, so that's what St. Augustine's word, he used to call it, either we are thinking of the past or we are thinking of the future. We never live in the past. Right. Initially, a poet said we live before and after. We never live in the present. And That's this true. is the problem. This present centeredness is what we have to bring in. It is a fact that brain, unfortunately, makes memory, and memory is part of manifestation, cannot be avoided. 
And therefore, the brain's job is to present this ego. Brain gives right. us the ego for good reason, because the ego also something we need. We need those memory banks. We need the software that we build with the memory banks, because those software is going to build us better software in the future, the creative software. Right. So brain is all necessary, but we don't use it unnecessarily, that which is not necessary to frame about frame our memories and frame our conceptualization of what we are experiencing. We must get only those necessary things. What are the necessary things? Those are the things of meaning and purpose. Right. And in all and archetypes, so those are the things that archetypes give us. Archetypes are direct messages of consciousness. If you want to know consciousness, the rule is very simple. Pay attention to the archetypes and worry about how do I make representation of these archetypes in the brain so that my behavior changes. Not behavior in this, stuck in this ego, but behavior that can delve into the higher transformational aspects of reality, which is eventually is what will change reality and civilization will build, right? Let me come in with some preparatory Absolutely. practical things. Yeah, I'm yes. the practical many times. <laughs> so, um, obviously, a first step would be to work um, in training our attention, you know, and also seeing what, which of the outer factors are taking it away, you know, because when you're not attentive to something, you're attentive to something else, you know. Yep. And uh, you still so much information processing and so much bombarding, internet, internet, and all that. Obviously, it is affecting a lot. We are paying so much, you know. So we are paying for these apps in your phones. You pay $2, whatever, but we are getting the internet for free, you know. But it's not for free. It's costing so much of our mental capacity and of our right. energy of living, you know, and all that. And that's one thing. So we have to see what's happening with our attention. If you don't train our attention, of course you're missing these kind of moments. And also what's happening is that we try to click a picture of all these moments and we become like robotic. You know, we are just going into this, um, how to say, like uh, the controlled state of the ego, you know, which just wants to control. And uh, But it's not like that. In a relationship, you see immediately when your lover is not present and spontaneous, you know, it's like you're with the machine there. You're not so interested anymore, right? Oh, yeah. So it's a lot. I mean, also we have our own masks, which are there initially maybe from the childhood to protect us from some things. And we don't see the things the way they, the way they are. We see the things the way we are, obviously. Or when we are suffering or um, with all kinds of problems, again, we don't see the reality. You know, we think it's a reality, but it's not. It's actually, and you have to assume this kind of work, not in a state of victimhood, but in a state of responsibility, you know. And eventually cultivate this maturity, which uh, unfortunately humanity is not so much there yet, you know. So we are kind yeah. of an immature species. Just look around and see all this, even the domination circuits and all this. Uh, I'm giving you something and be only because if you're giving me something, you know. So if we are on this level, that's far from where we can be and we should be. Fully agreed. Uh, yeah, I like that you, because uh, that was my next question. I was I wanted to get into attention and how to develop that. Um, and the uh, importance that if you don't have control of your own attention, someone else will, whether it be someone on uh, the, the, the gadgets that you just described. And if they have 
your attention and they're holding you, they being the person that's presenting you with this distraction, they also have, in some ways, um, your consciousness. Uh, they're controlling how you filter your consciousness through. So um, I think there, there was an old quote I heard uh, someone say, um, a, a chance favors a controlled mind. Um, yeah, and the thing is, you're, sorry, to, you're losing your power of choice. That's yes. the thing about choice. You're not choosing anymore. Right. So something else is choosing there, a monkey mind there. And of course, most of the cases, all the some skaras, vasanas from other incarnations, all that. So when right. you're able to take a breath and stay in the present moment and choose, you know, that's another story. But we usually, we don't even know which are our choices, you know? We just oh, think in the deterministic way that it's just left or right, you know? But it's good not point. like that. Good it uh, it doesn't have to be like that. That I, I, that's a good way of thinking of it. Like by paying attention to that, you can actually select the choice. You have choice. You have control of the choice that you make in that present moment, which also ties into uh, what Amit was talking about and being present and mindful of the moment. Of course, uh, very important even, stuff. Sorry? Even that is complicated because yes, okay. I do have choices, but I have choices only to choose among the thoughts that I know. Yes. I cannot choose what I don't know. And yes. therefore, the trick is much more than that. Valentina, what Valentina said is absolutely correct at the beginning. I stay with the stuff that I know. I don't allow myself to deviate from attention because if I do that, then what will happen? Consciousness will choose by itself and choose according to probability. Consciousness usually will throw at me what I usually think. Right, whatever that you're accustomed to. At the moment. So yes. thinking at the present moment is the most important thing. So I choose the thought, meaningful and purposeful thought, and stay there. That's the first thing we have to learn. The next thing we have to learn is to say that the answer may not be this. So I create yes. an open Yes, and this is why possibility for other things. This is why in spiritual tradition, there is all this talk about silence. Yes. Let the thought come yes. from silence. Yes, because if yes. the thought comes from silence, we similarly have a practice of intention. Where mm -hmm. we do the intention setting, then we prescribe silence. Prayer, yes. but prescribe silence. In that yes. silence, consciousness can speak, unconscious speaks, and then we can have a new thought. That's what intuition is. Yes, the, 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 deep, the deep dive down and allow silence. Uh, be still and know. And within that moment... Great thing. I mean, that's where most songs I've ever written came from. Uh, so what that kind of takes me into uh, where I want to go next, which is um, uh, reincarnation. Uh, I really enjoyed that part of the book. Uh, it really got me thinking. Um, so I want to discuss about reincarnation, uh, near-death experience, OBEs, uh, out-of-body experiences, uh, remote viewing, and channeling. They all seem to be coming, bubbling up from the same fabric. Um, they're just different perspectives or a different point of view of similar um, phenomena, let's say. And we've just defined them in, in, in different ways. But uh, as, a, as a musician, I know that many times I've written songs uh, years ago. And when I read back the lyrics, first of all, sometimes I don't even know where the lyrics came from. I'm like, I didn't know I was able to do this. It felt like a channeling, let's say. And when I would read them back, many, many of my lyrics, I'm telling you, it was like I had premonitions of stuff to come or developments of myself um, or people to meet uh, and odd things like that. And um, to tie this all in with my, uh, my next interview will be with Paul Selig, who's a channel. I don't know if you're familiar with Paul Selig's work, but um, 
having you guys explain all of these these things, channeling, remote viewing, and uh, reincarnation, and how they fit, might help uh, my listeners for next uh, podcast with Paul and channeling. Yeah, we were very pleased to uh, discover that there is brain data in favor of reincarnation. Reincarnation is a huge mystery because usually people cannot think of anything uh, that survives um, as an abstract thing. We always think that things that survive, they have to be more and more concrete. You know, our whole philosophy, our whole worldviews are based on what is real, real is what is concrete, like real estate. That gives you an idea of what we value, right? Yes. So from that, to understand that, no, that's not really real because it comes and goes in our experience. What is really real is what is true of the I that is developing. I mm. starts as an ego based by the very limited base level human condition, but then it grows, personal growth with creativity, and brain is capable of that because brain not only has the conditioned brain, Newtonian brain, but also quantum brain. Mm-hmm. But then, the, how does the progress actually expressed? And what happens when we die or in the process of death, like near-death experience? Or how is it that uh, somebody has an eye that is replaced by another eye because they're channeling some other person? Right. How right. did this how do these things happen? So what defines the I? We define the I in a very straightforward way. One straightforward way is the present-centered experiencer of experiences. Another way, the awareness of being aware. Okay, fine. So we have two definitions of ego and then what we call quantum self. But of course, when you grow, personally grow, then there are all these intermediate stages of development. Right. We call it traditional name, and traditional name is soul. Unfortunately, uh, of course, it is true that uh, the people who develop the soul theory has also realized that for developing uh, consciousness, people of developing consciousness, the soul is the essence of the eye. Soul is defined by ego's character. Not ego's character, self's character. What is character? Character is the trait that is part and parcel of you. Like for me, being a physicist is not just describe what I do, but what I am. My thinking is like physicist thinking. Right. So uh, musicians is musician. It's not what the musician does. Musician being is associated with music. That's when a true musician is a musician. Similarly. And so, uh, lover, same thing. The true lover is one who loves. When he loves, that is the, that is what his being is. Is the character of loving. It does not go away. A lover cannot hate any person. So we know such lovers, we call them mystic. Jesus was one. They cannot hate. It's impossible for them. They are lovers. So in that way. Now, how does the character build? This is where, what I discovered. And this is in the book, Physics of the Soul. I discovered that these character traits and habit patterns that happens, things that we learn, habit patterns is a way of making character traits. Mm-hmm. We make those 
characters which we like, we make them into our defining character. They are not memorized in the brain. They are memorized non-locally. This idea that memory is not stored in the brain, there are memories of things that we learn and make habits. They are stored outside of the brain, has been verified by fields. what that chapter is about. And it's an amazing thinking because that explains all the confusion of how something can be incarnate when I die. Because the brain dies with which all the memory goes, but only the memory that are local in the brain, but not the memory which is non-local, which is registered not in the brain, but in outside of the brain, that domain of potentiality that I was talking about. This is what makes up the greater unconscious. The unconscious, local unconscious is our personal unconscious. That goes away when I die. But the unconscious also has a non-local component, part of collective unconscious that Carl Jung called it. Yep. So my non-local memory exists as part of that non-local aspects of consciousness in another domain of reality, which is outside of special time. Once you understand this, reincarnation becomes very clear. And once reincarnation becomes very clear, it is also clear that every incarnation, if we build character, if we build the soul a little bit, next incarnation, mm-hmm. I build the soul a little more, and mm-hmm. little more, and little more, and that's how we, how we grow. Ah, okay. I like that, I like that explanation. Yes, please. Um, so there is this Tibetan book, you know, Tibetan tradition, and the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am, yes. Okay. Of course, there are lots of codes there, and you need to learn how to do it well. And uh, recently, I I put it in practice. My father passed away recently, and I, uh, I, it was, it was very. What can I say? It was. I have to say, like, I, I could watch all this process, you know, how, how it can be. And um, it was good in his case, truly. Like, by, in the last month, he was becoming truly so wise, you know, and he was really having access. I mean, I was trying to guide him a little bit and to explain him, not just mentally, in some ways, because it's very important if you're speaking about channeling and how you can help a person after leaving the physical world, you know, because truly you can help a person if you if you can do it and if you know what you're doing. And also if you establish this no local correlation with him or with her just before, at least, you know, and if there's, of course, a, a level of respect, you know, and to know that there's something else more than we know with the usual thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, he could, I mean, he was a doctor, he was a quite good doctor, and he was so much materialistic when he was younger, you know, but gradually he just could not um, uh, process whatever he, was. he had, you know, he had a few health problems, you know, and eventually the body could not uh, could not help anymore, you know, but still at the level of, uh, like, the spiritual level and mentally, he could truly have uh, very, very strong intuitions, even about reincarnations, even before he would not talk about these kind of things. You know, but again, by when that moment approached, he had this very, very strong. He said, "I cannot even tell you." Like, it's not. It's, he was trying to describe him what is an intuition, you know, because he didn't, he didn't know about these kind of things, you know. And now he totally knew. And when I 
I told him about the white bright light, which, by the way, is the thing which is describing all these near death experiences as the first thing. And that's actually like, it's the first chance to, if you are able to really merge with that white bright light. But the, what's happening is that uh, it's so powerful. And if we are not used with that kind of intensity in the daily life, we don't have so much chance in that moment, you know? And that's why the Tibetan tradition, they are training the, you know, the people who are doing this, this Bardo tradition, which is so beautiful and so deep, they are training all their life for this final leap, you know? This yeah. is a very, very special yeah. moment. The thing is that in our civilizations nowadays, you see that we are so afraid of that. But why? Because we're extremely afraid of life. It's totally yes. coming together. When we can see that, that, yeah, it can be truly in any moment, you know? You don't know when it will be, you know? It's not that you have to go and look for it, you know? But it's there. It can truly be there. And then why are we afraid? Because we are we are living lives which are unfulfilled, mm-hmm. right? We are mm-hmm. just living with the, with the break on all the time. Yeah. And so we are kind of, we are living, in, we are afraid of life. And the thing is that it's not that just there's uh, life after that, but there's also life before that, you know? Yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> I really like how you put that. You gave me goosebumps, actually, when you were, when you were talking about your, about your father, uh, like extreme goosebumps. Uh, and I, I like how you, uh, you you brought in the channeling and uh, the white the white light. Uh, one reason is uh, my partner that works with me on this podcast did have a near death experience, and he he wasn't uh, he wasn't very schooled in these matters of the metaphysical world. Um, I actually kind of started trying to introduce him to this world, um, and he had no idea uh, when he described to me his near death experience. He described this this white, and he said it felt like there was just light everywhere. It, was, it didn't feel like I was in a room and there was a, like a light coming from something. It seemed like the light was omitted from everything. Uh, and this is a person that was, uh, he, he didn't know of any of near-death experience. He, it's not like he read any of this stuff. And it, it uh, really read as if I was reading an account of near-death experience. And um, I also like how, uh, how Amit, you, uh, you put it all together by describing the field. Uh, that, uh, it's similar, similar to the description of uh, Rupert Sheldrake's of morphic resonance and uh, David Bohm, I was reminded quite a bit of sea of potentiality and like choice points and that your consciousness floats outside of this non-local uh, space and that maybe that's where our memories kind of drift, almost like a scent. And then if you bring a memory to mind of when you were a child and you remember that flower, that, that smell of that particular flower, your grandmother's cooking, it kind of brings it all into, into play. Um, is that fair to, to use as an example of how channeling may work or remote viewing or any of these, these attributes? Well, channeling actually is a little more uh, mysterious than that. Uh, there are, of course, uh, stuff that we do while we channel or channelers channel. I've never been a channel, so um, I'm thinking about channelers' experience. But what they do... It is it, it, it's, it's not the most relevant thing. What they are able to do, this is this, there is a subtle difference here. What they're able to do versus what they do. Okay. The evidence okay. is very clear now. We have done okay. very good scientific studies. I was part of um, that study that was made by a whole group. Um, yes, from Jay Z Knight, yes. And the studies, you know, Stan Kripner led that group which measures psychophysiological indicators. And really, the journal are psychophysiology completely changes. Mm-hmm. What does that mm-hmm. mean, though? Mm-hmm. In yeah. quantum construction, that's what character is about. The channeler 
temporarily borrows the character of an entity which has those qualities, like the entity may be a surgeon, and then the channeler performs surgery. Oh. What does he borrow from the channel entity? He borrows the quality of attention. One thing surgery needs that ordinary people don't have is the quality of attention. How do we uh, prove that? We prove that by measuring brain waves. The brain waves of people who are capable of doing a surgery is over 40 hertz. A normal person, like a channeler, the brain wave could never exceed 30 or at most 35 hertz. Never. Really? And these channel channelers, typically, when they're channeling, their brain waves, channel channelers who channel doctors or surgeons, their brain wave typically goes up over 40 hertz. So That's this gamma, is, right? You know, have today that that's gamma the the 40 hertz above that's gamma correct for uh, brain waves uh, uh, excuse me sorry uh the 40 hertz and above is that that's a that's the gamma yeah in, during, in, the channeling, in, during the channeling but after the okay. channeling is over then the brain waves return to their normal range okay, okay I get so we know an example right i mean from brazil john of god mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know was extremely he helped many many people i mean he was really channeling and but then of course like there were some scandals in the last years i don't know but he really i mean it was we know him we met we went there so we could witness and the state was very very high so i could truly perceive that the vibration was extremely high and even the contact with the angelic realms so no doubt it was there when when i was there do you, do you think there's a, a relationship between people that have that access? And because uh, it, it is common in uh, reading um, previous history of other people that were channels of such, where they would have this ability, like you just mentioned, John of God, uh, but then uh, eventually they go they down a darker the, path. Yeah, it's possible yeah. because again, so they are embodying, but yes. then again, when they come to themselves, they have to still work with their character, with whatever right. is that, you know? So. So do you think so, that opening up that channel may allow for something a little bit more sinister to kind of creep in? Not normally, but they're using the, 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 the channeler's character and channeler's software that goes with the character. That's what they're using only during that channeling time. At other times okay. when they're not channeling, their behavior goes back to their usual behavior. It's yeah, so it's very interesting to think about that, you know, because for me also, I gave a lot of thinking. So you would think that when uh, something very, very high is channeled by any person, that person is transforming by itself. But it's not like that. It has to be a conscious choice, you know? Ah, so I still, see. you go back, like, uh, and whenever you, you can go in states of trance, for example. There are positive mm-hmm. states of trance where you can go. But after that, it's very important to work on your own transformation because you may ah, have all kinds of things which come up, especially when you're engaging in these high energies, you know? And then yeah. it's even even more. They make them up to, to purify themselves, you know, but you need to look at them, you need to take them and truly work with them. And it's so much work. You see it in so many other cases. Is, is that why you said put such an importance uh, on the term, what did you call it, uh, spiritual uh, hygiene? Mental hygiene. Mental hygiene, sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, it starts from there, everything. Yeah. Without that, what do we do? It's part of mental hygiene before such phenomenon can be done by a person, generally. Right. 
because if your mind is, does not does not cannot hold the attention or things like that, the channel entity will never choose to correlate with such a person because that's a good point. The person will not be able to hold the suspension for very long. That's so a good the point. Channel entity has some qualities that that the uh, channel channel and channel entity has some resonating qualities that they have chosen each other to correlate. Like a contract. So, I like that. I like how you put that. It's kind of like a contract, an agreement. Kind of a contract. Not not exactly a contract because the uh, channel entity can break and they do break. <laughs> it's their volition. The channeler cannot cannot do it by their uh, by wish again. That's true. Uh, time and time again, we have found evidence for that. You know um, that. And the other thing that you have to be very careful. I studied a channel entity uh, for some years um, because uh, I was going to meet this channel and channeler regularly, and I had the opportunity to watch it. It's the character that the and entity's character that the channeler is borrowing. But the information that the channeler speaks about, this is where a lot of deception takes place. The information okay. does not come from the channeled entity. The information comes from the channeler's brain. Okay, so yes, yes. when a channeled entity is like Einstein and the channeler is talking kind of Stupidly, although, <laughs> although, although yeah. there are aspects of character which is different if you really, really are kind and looking at the person in all fullness. And this is very important to catch because, um, uh, you know, I had the opportunity of looking up close. So this channel, channeler was, uh, when, when uh, she was uh, channeling, then the entity's character changes. Character becomes very poetic, philosophical. Yes. And I yes. had beautiful discussions with this uh, channel entity during this during this phase. But of course, I'm speaking to the channel their physical appearance. But actually, I could tell that the character has changed. Whereas when I would have dinner with this person. Then she is very ordinary. She see her character changes. Information. She gives is coming from her always, but the way the information is presented, that's what changes. I see. That makes a lot of sense because it almost seems like uh, the entity is using the uh, software that's in the, the actual channel uh, to kind of like filter their information through, I guess, is kind of how you can kind of tangibly put it, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better example. Um, this so, I'd like to go talk about uh, the, the creativity aspect of the book because you guys uh, focused a lot on that and when i saw that in the book i was like this is the first bu uh, book that i've seen that's about the brain and that's uh, first of all you guys did a great job because it's not just about uh, the the mechanics of the brain it's far more than just that and um, you incorporated uh, a deep dive into consciousness which i appreciated and sometimes you find that in brain books but not often um, and you guys talked about creativity and uh, its importance. And um, as someone that participates in that world a lot, as a creative world, um, I can attest that there is most certainly an aspect of it that's uh, non-local uh, and unexplainable. And anytime I participated in it in a way that uh, I almost kind of improvise, whenever I do like improvisation style writing, I noticed that for days after, 
uh, I have um, far more intuition, far more synchronicities, and I'm far more tapped in. And the only thing I can attest to it is uh, is that is is it, it, it's similar to when I take um, when I emphasize a lot of time for meditation. I also see the same sort of result. But when I write a song or I'm writing a song in my head and I'm just doing it freeform, just improvising, my God, I don't know how to describe some of the experiences I have. So could you guys talk a little bit about creativity? Because uh, I really like how you guys did that. Me first. Okay. So um, I'll just give you because I don't know how much time you still have left, but we have to give you the stages, I guess. You yes. know? At yeah. least that. Um, creativity, again, uh, refers to the way we tap into the potential, right? Mm-hmm. So again, after choosing something, uh, whether it's a process of you're working with art, right? But it has to be, you because you're working with art and music, it means you already have a certain archetype. Remember the word archetype? Yes. yes. So uh, archetypes are uh, referring to the highest, most noble thinking and feeling that man can conceive. It's something which you never truly touch. It's as if it's pulling you upwards, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something which is inspiring. It makes you it gives you wings, you know. So without that's the first eye. We have we, we speak about seven eyes, yeah. Eye. Mm-hmm. So the eye, the first eye, inspiration. You know, mm-hmm. if you that's the thing in the movie, The Secret didn't really give the secret. Yes, besides <laughs> the fact that it's not explaining the process of resonance, which yes. makes the world move, but mm-hmm. also it didn't speak about this thing because again, you may have the highest intent for yourself, the most intelligent thing, because you know that you want that is not enough. If you don't have inspiration, so that thing which takes you from a from a contracted state to an expanded state, you start with that your day, you end with that your day, you know? Something that makes sense so much that you want to shape your life according to that, you know? So without that, which is part of living a life of meaning, you're not getting into, into any kind of real satisfaction in life, you know? Uh, people who are healing from cancers, you know, they all discover something with meaning, something which makes them live with inspiration. Yeah. So first I inspiration. And then of course it's intention. But again, before intention comes the state, like the stage where you work with attention. So -hmm. attention related with the power of choice, uh, developing discernment and all that. And then you choose that you make the intent and you don't change it. Like you change the socks, you know, we we just put an intent and we change another one. We take another one and another one, like as if, you know, and we wonder why it's not working. Because we lack the perseverance, we lack the yes, yeah, and women, again, women, because women get so much, so special and very strong intuitions over and over, even in the dreams. But still, we don't take them further. Why? You know, because we lack, we lack the belly, yeah, we lack the self-respect and self-love also, and all that. If yes. we would love ourselves, we would truly live this life of meaning, you know, like yes. following what is this archetype? So what is for us? What is that which words that you live for and you die for? And we lost this kind of passion. You know, we need to yep. get back. So inspiration, then intention, right? Okay. So this is the beginning. And then you play this game with the intention, which there are stages for the intention. You start from yourself, then for the greater good, and then you surrender it so that it's happening according to the moment of consciousness or God's will. And then you stay in silence. So these stages, I told them briefly, but you, you need to put it because it's so beautiful. Initially, you, you manifest the intent to forgive somebody, you know. It's not going to be so easy. So the stages don't come by, you know, they manifest from one to the other. But as they manifest, you feel greater and greater. You really feel it. You can, you can um, you, you force it a little bit maybe, you know. But first of all, you have to have that inspiration, you know. 
And even if you don't have it, it's not that you don't have to act because you don't have it. No, you search for it. You know? So put your question in the evening when you go to bed. What is my dharma? Ask your guardian angel because we have each of us. We have guardian, our guardian angel, which is there related with our dharma. And in the dreams, that's so important how we can get all kind of answers. Okay, uh, Amit. Next, you can say about the others because I have so many things to say. So then comes intuition. So these ideas of the archetypes that come to us when. We end the intention with silence. So in, intuition can come. Next stage is imagination. I take the intuitive idea, which is just an idea. Basic, basic like a blossoming flower. Just the bud. That's the intuition. And then I develop it through imagination, projection based on what I know. And then I surrender again. And this surrender it produces a, a, a very quantum process called unconscious processing. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm, the yes. unconscious where an idea is picked up that you generated in the conscious but made into a proliferation of wave-like possibilities. Many, many possibilities open up and you do this repeatedly. Do, be, do, be, do. That's what we call it. And then the insight happens. So uh, unconscious processing is called incubation. So mm-hmm. imagination, incubation, and then insight, that's the sixth one, sixth eye. Yep. Insight is where the novel idea, the creative idea, the new idea that will change things, that will disturb the universe. That's coming then. It comes suddenly. How do I know? It always comes with a surprise. Aha. People yes, call it yes. aha. Yes. Yeah. And then we take the insight and make it manifest. We make a product. The product can be outer product, like a book, a scientific theory, or the product also can be a new eye, a new mm-hmm. station for the self that we call soul. That's how we make the soul, by creative ideas and then manifesting in changing the way I think, the way I feel. Okay. And, for example, if you work with love, you know, if you put your intent about love, you need to become that love. So that's, that's interesting. You, know? you need to part, become yes. that active love anyway. You need to embody that. So you're yeah. in, that's the beauty. Like you're embodying eventually the archetypes, those divine attributes. You're, that's the point. Why we are, we are here. We are not here to just run away and in the caves and that's it, you know. We are here to embody these archetypes. And why now, you know, when it's so difficult? That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then yes. uh, just to say, like when Amit said the imagination, don't think yeah. it's just the imagination like that. It's a focused imagination with a supramental level. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like something which you you are uh, working, for example, like I said, with angels. So with realms which exist, but they are not uh, usually under our eyes, you know, stuff like that. Oh, that's a really great breakdown, guys. That uh, I really enjoyed how you guys put all that uh, in the book and just right now as well. I, it was, it's really hard to compress all that information so fast, and you really did a great job. I don't want to take too much more of your time. Uh, I we, we we didn't really get to a lot of archetypes, uh, subjects of like Carl Jung and how that pertains to um, to the development of all of us. But I like how you guys threw that in, and I hope uh, the listeners kind of. Uh, you know, really look out for this book because it, it is incredible. Uh, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I'd like to talk about what do you have coming down the pipeline because uh, I think one of the books is on integrative medicine. And uh, is there another one on, on um, awakening intelligence, I think, is, uh, is another book you're working on? Uh, for, first of all, the first book, Quantum Spirituality, um, I like how it ties into Quantum Brain. I just started uh, Quantum Spirituality. So, um, 
I'm really excited to kind of go through it a bit more. Uh, but I can see the from one book to the other. Now, can you tell us a little bit about what you got coming down the, t- the pipeline in terms of those books and other projects you're working with? Yeah, but uh, what do you want to know? I mean, uh, uh, are, okay, let me because uh, <laughs> we do a lot of things. First of all, we have this master and PhD school. You know, yes, it's a program, and we are so happy with that. You no, know? it gives us so much challenge and work, and so much creativity and insights. You know, it's just amazing. And um, uh, it's happening. So we just have uh, the first um, graduate, you know, now in this period. We are celebrating the, the menus next weekend. And uh, we have uh, also the scientific journal, which is coming out now, finally, you know, in quantum science. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have a few books uh, also on uh, Enneagram and personality types, you know. Also, we have really quite a few, and they are all of them almost ready, you know. You said Enneagram so as in uh, Gurdjieff? It, it just, uh, yeah. I, what I'm sorry, happened? you said an, an Enneagram? Enneagram, some personalities and archetypes together, you know? Yeah, okay, yeah. Like, astrology, it, so it would be a beautiful book, but all of them, they, are, they have their own, they have their own absolutely. soul. You know? no, so I, mean, I meant uh, a reference to uh, Gurdjieff. If, if, if you're uh, referring to Gurdjieff in the, in the Enneagram and his fourth wave, so that's uh, okay. Uh, uh, can we can we uh, can we talk about uh, all this in a second interview? A hundred percent. Yes, please. No problem. Anytime. Well, uh, where can everybody find your work? We have well, yeah. Uh, Valentina, you give the website. And we have amitgoswami.org. Okay, yeah? and I'll add all of them. And we have weekly webinars on Facebook and YouTube. This week it will be on quantum healing in times of COVID. And uh, yeah, so you'll find, you find us. On Instagram, I'm Valentina underline Onishore. And okay. I have three of them, but you'll find. No, you'll find. I'd love to have you interview us again on our... Yeah. 100%. You're so wonderful. Well, oh, thank you. So thank you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank so you. Much we could stay with you five hours. <laughs> yes, so could I. And thank you so and, much for your time, both of you. And thank the time advance that we want to talk more than one hour. One hour is not much time to uh, elaborate the subject. You are a good interviewer, so carrying out all oh, kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, but, but I think for the sake of the audience, you know, for the sake of the audience, one hour is enough. We can have a few. I, I'm but, totally willing. I, I was I really hoping you would say all that. <laughs> okay. ah, by the way, something you would like. We yes. had something about extraterrestrials recently. If you mail yes. me, if you mail, I will send you. The, oh, yes, please do. Please do. Like please them. do. Okay, awesome. I'll put all that in the show notes, uh, how everyone can contact you. And honestly, everyone, look forward to the next interview we do with these two wonderful people. I'm just going to okay. say goodbye right now. Bye-bye, friends. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thank you.